back to another episode of the Villa Society podcast, where we analyse the latest fixtures featuring Aston Villa and discuss the key moments that influence the game. I'm your host, Paul James, and today we're going to be talking about the 1-1 draw against Liverpool at Anfield. As always, before we start, if you could subscribe, give us a follow, a little review would be brilliant. Uh, it would help us to create more content for this podcast, give us a bit more exposure. So if you could take a second to do that on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this, that would be brilliant. Cheers. So Liverpool won, Aston Villa won from Anfield. And what a performance Villa put in here, Like especially in the first half. At times I was watching us and I just thought, this isn't Aston Villa, this is a different team because we had so much cutting edge. We did the transition so well, we broke so well and created chances. I think in the second half, obviously, we were under pressure quite a lot, but that high line really worked really well. Kind of squeezing Liverpool, not giving them any space. And then going into this game, the lineups, we had a few changes in the Aston Villa team. We had Matty Cash came in, in place of Ashley Young. Maybe Ashley Young's you know, needed a little bit of a rest after playing so many games this season. He also put Dinier in as well instead of Alex Moreno, who usually plays. So that was an interesting tactical change there, potentially. And um, yeah, went into this game. I saw the lineup on uh, Sky Sports, but I was a little bit confused because it showed McGinn on the right. But when he was playing, he's actually playing often alongside Ollie Watkins, like in, in line with Ollie Watkins and playing like that further forward midfielder, uh, kind of helping out Watkins. And it, it proved quite a good tactic throughout this game. McGinn got the ball and he burst forward and he's playing balls into Watkins. And that's where we got our penalty opportunity from. And uh, I think it worked well as a tactic. And uh, yeah, it was interesting to see. It was a huge point at Anfield and with this Aston Villa team, it's a little bit different. Kind of when you're watching them, you can sense that we're going to score or we're going to hold out. I've seen like we got the penalty, we missed the penalty and I was disappointed obviously we missed the penalty. But I was still thinking we're going to score here. We're going to get another opportunity pretty soon in this first half and get a goal and go ahead. And maybe we'll hold on and get all three points. It's a little bit disappointing that we didn't. But, you know, with 10 minutes added on at the end, it's pretty hard to hold out for a whole 10 minutes. Um, I'm not sure where they got that from. It's pretty disappointing that adding 10 minutes onto a game and that they've changed this during the season. Like, where was this against Wolves when we had three minutes added on? Uh, it seems very inconsistent to be changing this around throughout the season. Especially, imagine if you're a Leicester City or a Leeds fan and Everton has scored in the 97th minute, I think it is. You'd be pretty good if you go down based on that. All we ask for is like consistency, but the Premier League seems to change the rules throughout the season. The referees are adding time on, then they're not adding time on. It just doesn't seem to seem to have any consistency to it. So there's around 53,000 in Anfield for this game, and I was actually away in the Caribbean, and I was watching it on TV, so I could actually hear the Villa fans on the TV, very loud, very proud, so it's really good to see. But after the game, we got so much whinging from Liverpool fans, and I don't know why, it's a draw, right? But maybe it's because they haven't got Champions League position but at the end of the day it's their own fault for not being very good in that first half and Villa being very good in that first half. Um, we had some strange decisions by the referee John Ward in this game. Uh, we had 10 minutes extra played. I mean what's that all about? I know Liverpool fans are going on about time wasting but every team does it you know against Wolves. Wolves were doing it but they only had three minutes injury time to play. Uh, every team does it a little bit but Villa had injuries. We had Dinier went off Moreno went off he wasn't time wasting they both had proper injuries so yeah of course Martinez is going to take a little bit more time on the ball when he's got it because we're under pressure he's going to break up the game unfortunately that's the way the game is at the moment and I, I talked about this on the previous podcast I think the Wolves episode 
you know, they've got to change the rules here. They've either got to, they can't do it halfway through the season like they seem to be doing now, like, well, it's the end of the season. But now they seem to be counting this time and adding it on, whereas, like, they didn't in previous uh, previous games. So why are they bringing it in now? It's very strange to just do it and change it halfway through the season or at the end of the season. So, yeah, I think they do need to change the rule. It might end up like basketball or something like that. I'm not sure it would work that well, but they're going to have to stop the ball when it goes out of play or someone goes down injured. And they're going to have to display this to the fans because they can't just bring up a board at the end of the game that says, yeah, 15 minutes extra, because we've got no idea where that's come from. You've got to stop the clock, you know, like they're doing rugby, they're doing basketball and all these other games. So maybe that's the way it's going to go. I'm not sure it's going to work that well. I'm not sure I'm in favour of it, but at the moment it is a bit strange that teams are time-wasting so much and breaking up play and things like that. I don't think Villa are particularly... Uh, special at that I think Wolves have done it in tours of Liverpool have done it in the past every team does it it's it's part of the game at the moment so until the rules change that's going to happen time and time again so let's move on to some stats now in Stats Blast so moving on to some stats from the match and recent performances from Villa in terms of possession Liverpool dominated this with 66% I'm guessing mostly that's from the second half and those last 10 minutes where they're putting pressure on as well Villa had 34% of the ball um, doesn't tell the full story, but gives you an idea that that second half we were under pressure. Shots on target were five for Liverpool and three for Villa, while corners were nine and four respectively. But if you look at the first half, actually shots on target, Liverpool had zero. So you see how dominant Villa were in that first half in terms of playing well, playing on the transition, breaking well, and really keeping Liverpool at bay with that high line, it's kind of squeezing the lines so Liverpool couldn't get in between there. And actually, they we kept them quite outside our box for a lot of that first half. So really good performance in that first half, and the stats tell that story as well. Looking at Villa's recent form, we've averaged 1.57 points per game this season, with an impressive 11.5 increase in the, in our last eight games. We've averaged goals scored 1.32 per game this season, slightly decreased to 1.25 in the last eight games. But the most impressive stats here are we've conceded on average 1.22 goals per game this season, but this figure has fallen to 0.63 in the last eight games. So a massive improvement. It's 48% improvement in our defensive games. So that just goes to show you could see that today, like Ming's incredible performance it was today just a colossus in that back four just winning every header and I was even more impressed with their well the headers and aerial dominance and all that kind of stuff and, and blocking shots and things like that were really impressive but what I was really really even more impressed with was the way we played it out from the back and how calm we are it was just incredible to see our defenders playing with so much confidence so Liverpool have lost one game all season at home, and that was against Leeds United, surprisingly. And Villa have scored the last 12 penalties, but in this game, 13 was unlucky. So the first key moment of this game that I noticed was John McGinn's performance and the advanced role. So McGinn, he's been one of our standout performers in recent games and he works so tirelessly and his technical ability is so good, so good at turning a man and using that famous backside to turn people. He's just got grit and determination and leadership at the moment, which is key for us. He's just improved so much and he's kind of trusting his own abilities and he's taking a little bit more time on the ball, if you notice. He's actually 
getting the ball shielding it but he's actually breaking as well and dribbling a little bit and that comes from what Emery's been telling him to do trust your abilities a little bit and don't pass the ball away straight away when you get it so who's playing in a more advanced role when I saw the lineups on I think it was Sky Sports they had him on the right hand side but if you watch this game he was in level with Watkins for a lot of this game as the most attacking midfielder and I think that was the idea to kind of get him forward, get him kind of hustling and bustling in there and creating those through balls and attacking more more than he does in other games. So it was a different role for McGinn and uh, it, it seemed to work in that first half. You saw the opportunity for the penalty happen where Louise wins the ball and plays it to McGinn, who's around the centre circle, and he plays like a delightful through ball, just curls it into the Liverpool half and Watkins is onto it, into the box, and he's about to pull the trigger when Canate pulls him down and it's a yellow card and a penalty even though the whole stadium Liverpool side of the stadium were complaining that it wasn't a penalty but if you watch the replay clear penalty yellow card um, not a red due to the double jeopardy rule and yeah a penalty to Aston Villa due to due to some excellent play and some excellent transition work from Aston Villa just really 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 good play there were times in the first half where I was just watching the TV going, is this Aston Villa? I was just like, wow, the way they've won the ball and they're, they're transitioning and they're going through the midfield and leaving leaving Liverpool's attackers and midfielders behind and breaking. It was, it was really a joy to see. It kind of reminded me of those performances against Chelsea and against Newcastle at home. Really impressive. And... Uh, yeah, just I love the tactics at the moment coming from Emery. So we've seen it again. He's he's come up with uh, a tactic to use John McGinn in this position a bit further forward. And uh, yeah, I think it worked, especially in that first half. We saw um, Watkins have a, a couple of chances where he was getting clean through. And McGinn was just causing all sorts of problems for Fabinho. He was pulling him down. He was fouling him. I'm surprised he didn't get a yellow card in that first half for sure because he kept doing these cynical fouls. And I don't think they were all given, but he was definitely on number four or five in that end of that first half and doesn't even get booked but great performance from McGinn again he had a, a really good game the previous game as well he's just really come into a form at the end of the season and he seems to like he really wants to get into Europe so McGinn's really playing as a captain and and just having an outstanding performance every week at the moment so hopefully going into Brighton it will be the same we're going to see the same John McGinn it'd be interesting to see exactly where he plays in that game because maybe there'll be a slight tactical decision anyway won't be as far forward or he might be further on the right hand side but it'd be interesting to see what happens with that so the next key aspect of this game is Aston Villa's high line and composure I know if you've listened to this podcast before you're probably going the high line again and the composure again but this week it was so evident how well Aston Villa played that high line you see the game in the first half and it's a, it's such a well-run, well-drilled line at the back there. It's catching Liverpool offside all the time. Obviously, it comes with a risk. We saw Liverpool score a contentious one that was offside. Um, but for the most part in this game, it, it worked really well. It was catching Liverpool offside time and time again. And it's also, it squeezes the play so much that Liverpool just had no space in between the lines to attack there. And you saw like, 
Salah and Diaz, they couldn't get the ball in between those lines. They just didn't know what to do with it. And also, we just kept them outside the 18-yard box for the most part and kept any danger at bay for the whole of that first half and for a lot of the second half. So this high line was really impressive and we kept it really well in that second half as well. I think if we'd dropped deep in that second half and lost that high line, we would have been in a little bit of trouble and Liverpool would have scored one or two, I think, at least. Um, but as it was, we kept that high line, kept the discipline and squeezed the play and really kept the whole game really, really difficult for Liverpool. So I'm really impressed with that high line. I'm coming round to it a lot more than I was before. I know it's just a little bit risky because once a game, someone's going to spring that high line. But maybe that's OK once a game because they're only going to score one. And if Villa's got a couple of goals, then we're going to win the game. So... It's an interesting tactic and it helps us control the game a lot. And it really, really, really frustrates other teams. You saw that with this game. It was so impressive. And credit to the whole defence and the whole midfield. Just like holding their positions, doing what they've been told and just playing a really, really great tactical game against Liverpool. So we kept that high line throughout the game. Very impressive. Helps keep the pitch quite narrow for us. Makes teams play backwards rather than forwards. And we also saw the other aspect that I was talking about last week on this podcast, which is the D shape. I I think after the podcast, I realized I may not have explained why it's a D, but if you look at our defense, you've got Martinez with the ball, you've got two center backs, and then you've got a midfielder as well. It's kind of like a D shape. This tactic we saw in this game, so you'd see Mings get the ball off Martinez, and then Douglas Louise would drop in, drop short, looking for the ball. And then they'd be played to Douglas Louise, a midfielder would follow him and then he'd play back to Mings who would then play the ball beyond Louise and that midfielder to one of our midfielders in the space. He'd then turn and then he's beyond Liverpool's attackers and midfielders as well, well some of them, and we would be then on the transition going forward on a an attack with half their team behind us. So I'm really impressed how we did this in this game but it wasn't just having that tactic. If you watch out for that tactic we use it quite a lot but it's also the composure and the sharpness of the passing at the back. I mean, this is Aston Villa. I'm used to watching James Collins or Richard Dunn hoof the ball upfield to, you know, John Carew or someone like that. And it's like, this is Aston Villa. We're playing it around the back. We're playing it in narrow spaces when we're under pressure from a team that presses. This is Liverpool. They press with speed and we weren't flustered. We passed it with sharp passing, short passing, with confidence, and beat their press on numerous occasions. And it was like really impressive to see. I was just like, wow, look at that. They've they've beat the press and they're on the break and they're causing trouble at Anfield in this first half. And it was just brilliant to watch. And I can't wait to see them play it again. I'm, I'm a little bit worried that, you know, these tactics will eventually get found out, but I'm hoping Emery's got more of these kind of tactics up his sleeve that will keep us going throughout next season. So another bit of composure I think has really crept into Villa's game. It's a little bit more subtle, but I think under Emery this crept into Villa's game. At the back, when we're defending and we're in our own box, you'll notice the midfielders and defenders, if they block the ball or intercept the ball, we're no longer panicking and hoofing the ball long or hoofing it out of play. We're calm, composed and considered. We'll block the ball, intercept the ball, and they'll be looking for another Villa player, whether that's a little short pass or there's always a Villa player around as well. So it seems like we're... We've been taught to be a bit more calm, a bit more confident on the ball and play it to one of our own players. And this is really good because it's not giving possession back to the opposition so they can come and attack us again. It's given us more chance to have a little bit more control on the game. And it's a really interesting little change of tactic, but most Villa teams I've seen in the past wouldn't be this composed and calm and intelligent in their passing. 
also the next key aspect of this game I wanted to talk about was Jacob Ramsey's goal and the added 10 minutes. So Jacob Ramsey had a really good game, I think, and uh, my particular highlight from this game was actually the one of our free kicks. It was an excellent free kick from the training ground, an Austin McPhee special, as I like to call him now, and I think it was McGinn who was over the ball. We had all our attackers kind of on the edge of the box, Liverpool box. Jacob Ramsey was sat quite deep, but he was in like a, a starting position as how you'd do a school 100 metres or whatever you did, 80 metres in those days at school, you'd be stood up ready to run. He was stood like that. And then he made this darting run beyond beyond the Liverpool defence, timing the offside trap perfectly. And McGinn plays him in down the right-hand side. And he's clean through a bit of an angle and he has a shot and the keeper does really well just to get his, his right hand down to the ball and, and save it. But it was a really good opportunity and a really good clever set piece by Aston Villa. So the Villa goal comes from some sustained pressure and it's Leon Bailey who has the ball. It's on the edge of the box, maybe just inside the box. And he's trying to whip that ball into the top corner with his left peg. And the Liverpool defender blocks it and it comes out to Douglas Louise, who's just outside the box. And he goes, curls the ball into the box aiming for that back post really good cross and Louise had a great game again he's just playing really well at the moment and we're lucky to have him at the moment he's a great player and he's whipping this ball into the not really whipping it but he's kind of curled into the back post I think Mings is in there as well kind of distracting the Liverpool defence and Alexander Arnold's at the back as well and I think he's he's left Ramsey who's sneaking in at that far post and he's come in with a, a really lovely finish side foot past Alisson and it's a great goal and it's 1-0 Aston Villa at that stage, we definitely deserved to be 1-0 up. We'd already missed the penalty. And in my head, I was like, we're going to get one in this first half. We played really well. Liverpool can't handle this high line. They can't handle our transitions. And yeah, it was a well-deserved 1-0 lead to Aston Villa. And in that first half, Villa's high line, they really kept Liverpool at bay, kept them outside that area. They had zero shots on target. So we were clear winners in that first half. We were playing some incisive football, really deserved that 1-0 lead. And I think even in the second half, at times we had some really good play, really good attacks, really incisive and confident attacks. And it's really good to be in Aston Villa at the, at the moment because we're playing such good football. And I think we really deserve the lead for most part of this game. Obviously playing Liverpool, it's a difficult game to play at Anfield. They've got the home crowd behind them. And we kept them out for most of this game. I mean, the majority of the game, we were in the lead. They had 10 minutes added on, which boosted the crowd a little bit. They managed to get an equaliser, and it was Firmino. Of course, it was him. Scores a, a decent finish, to be fair. Um, there's not much we could do about it, but it was really one of the first times they got into our box and had a clear-cut opportunity like that. So we came in the bay for a lot of the game, and I think we were unlucky to come away with, with just the point, but I'm very, very happy with the point. It's a great point away from home at Anfield, and it sets us up beautifully for the game against Brighton. But I must say something about the added 10 minutes that popped up at this end of this game. I know Villa had a few injuries. I know there were a few stoppages. But it's not so much the 10 minutes. It's the consistency. Where were these 10 minutes when we played Wolves away? Where were these 10 minutes in other games this season? This kind of rule that has come out of the World Cup is now being implemented whenever they fancy it in the Premier League. One week they are, another week they're not. So if you were a Leicester or Leeds fan, Everton has scored in the 97th minute and you go down, you'd be absolutely furious. You'd be miss out on Europe because the team scored in the 10th minute of injury time because they decided to change the rules one week. You'd be absolutely furious. So the key here is fans are annoyed because there's no consistency. 
they're changing the amount of injury time in different games throughout the season. It makes no sense. Why don't you wait till the end of the season and then go, okay, we're going to stop the watch here when it gets out of play. We're going to stop the watch where when he's taking too long on a free kick or people are injured down on the floor. We're going to stop the watch and we're going to count all that time and we're going to add on 15 minutes at the end of the game, whatever it is. But you don't do that during the season. You do that in a fresh season. It seems obvious to me and obvious to most people that it has a bit of common sense, but why why are they changing this from one game to the other? It makes no sense whatsoever and just causes confusion and anger among supporters, really. But we managed to hang on at the end there we were under a little bit of pressure but I think we really deserved a point um, even three points maybe I think at the end of the game we also had some chances I think Duran did quite well when he came on I think he won the ball on the left hand side and the ball came to Buendia eventually and we looked like we had an overload on their defence but Buendia gave the ball away it was a really good a really good position to maybe have a shot on target towards the end of the game but it wasn't to be and uh, yeah the game ended 1-1 but it's games like these that I I think a really good test for this team and for these players in this team and I think these are lessons for the future for this Aston Villa squad if we keep a lot of the players in this team and add to this team the players are already here are going to learn lessons from seeing out games like this and not folding like old Aston Villa teams would have in the past not all of them obviously but in the recent past and challenges like these really really going to be good lessons and we're going to learn and I think if we can get into Europe and we can play some European football we're going to learn even more lessons and we're going to become a really really difficult team to play against so I think if we can get into Europe and get that experience I think the future is just going to be really bright for Aston Villa so the other talking point was Mingzi's yellow card towards the end of that first half and Liverpool fans will tell you it should have been a red but from my point of view I think he was trying to play the ball if you watch he gets to the ball first he plays the ball first if he doesn't do that his manager will be screaming at him going why aren't you challenging for the ball he wins the ball Gapo's in motion he comes towards his leg and his his foot goes down his chest unfortunately after he's played the ball but the key thing here is after the ball and it wasn't dangerous play because it's not above his head he's not a head height he's gone to play the ball and I think this is why the referee John Ward has decided and VAR as well has decided it isn't a red card and thankfully Mang, uh, Mings, Mings, Mings stays on the pitch um, thankfully for Villa as well because Mings had an amazing game at the back there he's just taken stuff up a level and he's in the England squad at the moment as well, but he's just taking his play up a level. He was winning all sorts of headers at the back for Aston Villa. I think maybe Emery's simplified his game and he's just said to Mings, this is your role, this is what you need to do. And he's not trying to do everything at the back like he used to do for Villa. He's just trying to do what his role is and he's playing really, really well. He's blocking everything, the number of blocks in this game, the number of headers in this game. And even going forward, you see him charge forward on occasion as well. But it's done at the right time and it's done when he's supposed to go forward. So it's a brilliant Tyro Mings. He's I used to be crit, crit, criticising Mings at times when he used to um, have a mistake now and again. Everyone's like, oh, he's got a mistake in him. But loads of credit to him now. Under Emery, he's done nothing. No mistakes at all. He's just looking like an incredible defender. Uh, he's looking like a very expensive defender for me. He's um, And he's playing really well. So credit to Mings. Really good performance. Maybe man of the match performance there. McGinn had a great game as well, but I think Mings was man of the match for me. Um, great game and a great point for Aston Villa at the end of the day. 
I'm a little bit disappointed we didn't get all three points at Anfield in this game because we played so well and tactically we played so well. But a point is a really good result. A point sets us up really nicely. I think a point's going to be enough as well. So we just need to perform at home with the home crowd buzzing at Villa Park. Just need to get three points there. It's in our own hands we can do it. We don't want to be relying on other teams to drop points in this final game of the season. I think we need to go out there, really positive performance, do what we can, hopefully get the three points and get into Europe. So I hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of the Villa Society podcast. Fingers crossed against Brighton. I'm going to go for a 2-0 Aston Villa win at home last game of the season against Brighton. And I'm going to go for Ollie Watkins to score and who else? Um, maybe John McGinn he hasn't scored for a while so yeah John McGinn and Ollie Watkins at home in front of the Villa Faithful so let's have it let's get that European place and uh, let's finish the season on a high I'll be back after the Brighton game with a review of that match hopefully I'll be in good spirits and we'll all be able to celebrate so until then take care and up the Villa Villa